baptism service right here. Well, God bless you this morning. In your Bibles, turn with me, if you will, to the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 12. I was at a church one day, I was preaching, and I said to the congregation, turn with me, if you will, to the book of Jedediah, and when you find it, say amen. You'd be shocked how many amens I got. I don't know, I don't know where they found that book. Amen, amen, amen. But the Gospel of Luke, chapter 12, we begin reading in verse 13. And one of the companies said unto him, Master, speak to my brother, that he divide the inheritance with me. And he said unto him, Man, who made me a judge or divider over you? And he said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for man's life consists not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. Father, we thank you so much for a time of praise and worship. Drawing us closer to yourself, we pray you help us to see ourselves as we strive to be men of faith. We commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This morning, I want you to consider another principle of being a man of faith. The man of faith is a person who relinquishes his right to be an owner, and he takes his rightful position of being a steward. He relinquishes his right to be an owner and takes his rightful position of being a steward. If I were to ask you this morning, Let's take a few moments to take out a pen and paper and I'll give you five minutes to write everything that you own. What would you write? If you wrote down one thing, you would write down one thing too many. The scripture says that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and all that dwell therein. You own nothing. That might shock you, but you own nothing. When Paul writes to Timothy, he reminds Timothy that we brought nothing into this world. We came into the world naked. We brought nothing with us, and we take nothing out. I was there when all my kids were born. I was there, I was there, I was, ooh, push, 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 push. I was there, man. I was passing out, but I was there. And I noticed something. Not one child that I had had a pocket on his butt when he was born. Not one child was born with a pocket. Because not one child brought anything into the world. And they won't take anything with them. That's a sobering thought in our culture. Well, here in Luke chapter 12, we're going to learn the importance of being a steward. That's what God has called us to be. So in chapter 12, verses 1 to 12, Jesus is teaching. And there are two kinds of people gathered around Jesus. The first group is called the multitudes. And we see this in chapter 12, verse 1. In the meantime, when there were gathered together an innumerable multitude of people, insomuch that they trolled one upon another, he began to say unto his disciples, first of all, there's always a multitude, the big group of people who want to come and see things fantastic. If you want a multitude, you want a multitude of kids to come to an event, have pizza. They will show up. Have a pizza party and they will show up for church, FCA meeting, you name it. You have some food, you have the multitudes. Can you imagine following Jesus in, as part of the multitude and the things that you would see? This is going to be great, man. He's going to feed us. This is going to be fun. And you press in to see Jesus. But the multitude started to weed out every time Jesus pointed to them and began to teach doctrine. And to teach what it really cost to follow him. 
So the multitudes were there in Mark chapter 2. The scripture says when they brought this paralytic to Jesus and the multitudes were there, there were so many people they couldn't get into the house. And so they went to the top and lowered him through the roof. The multitudes were there when Peter said, Lord, they are pressing upon you and you are asking us who touched you. They were all there. And so they're here this morning in Luke chapter 12, the multitudes. Then the scripture says there were the disciples. Disciples are distinguished from the multitudes. The disciples are people who have given their hearts to the Lord Jesus Christ. They are serious. And the word uh, disciple means to be a follower. It means to be a learner of the Lord Jesus. And in Luke chapter 14, he tells us something about what it really means to be a disciple. Jesus says in Luke chapter 14, verse 26, If any man will come after me, hate not his father, his mother, his sister, his brother, his wife or children, he cannot be my disciple. Jesus says to us, there should be no relationship in your life more important than following me. Now what Jesus is not saying, he's not literally saying hate people. What he's actually saying is, your commitment, your devotion, your love to me should make that commitment over there appear as hate. We call that hyperbole. You, you, you make a statement, an exaggeration to prove a point. If I were to say this morning it's raining cats and dogs outside, you wouldn't look out and look for some chihuahuas and St. Bernard's falling out the sky. But you would understand, man, it's really raining. Ken said it's really raining outside. Ask yourself this morning, are you a disciple? Is there any relationship in your life more important than knowing the Lord Jesus Christ? Jesus says that's the cost of being a disciple. He goes on in Luke chapter 14, verse 28. Jesus says, if a man is about to go into battle, a king goes into battle, what does he do? He counts his soldiers to make sure he's able to defeat the oncoming army. If a man is about to build a tower, what does he do? He counts or measures his resources to make sure he can complete the task. So Jesus says to us that being a disciple isn't only costly, it's calculating. It's calculating. If you decide to follow the Lord Jesus Christ every day of your life, it is calculating. You must ask yourself, am I willing to do the things he's requiring of me? Am I willing to give my all to the Lord Jesus Christ? It's one thing to sing hymns about the Lord Jesus Christ. It's another thing to follow him completely. Are you calculating in your commitment? And then thoroughly, Jesus said in Luke chapter 14, Jesus says, if salt has lost his savor, it is of no use. What was he saying to to people of that day? He was simply saying that being a disciple is continuous. When salt stops being salty, it has no need. As a matter of fact, Jesus said it's worthy only for the dunghill. And there are some dunghill type Christians walking around. They make professions with their mouths, but Christianity for them is only a Sunday experience. It's not continuous. It's not an everyday thing. They aren't in it for the long haul. And so Jesus says, if you're going to follow me as my disciples, it's costly, it's calculating, it's meant to be continuous. These are the people that I'm serious with because they are serious with me. And so he begins to teach these people. So we get to verse 13, and in the midst of his teaching, something happens. We're introduced to an individual. He hurls an interruption as Jesus is teaching. As the Lord is teaching, perhaps he's pondering in his mind, oh, I'll be glad when he stops because I got something I want to say. I have a burden on my heart. I have an issue that really matters to me. And so in verse 13, listen to what he says. 
And one of the company said unto him, Master, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. I don't want to hear all this stuff you're talking about. You're teaching about the, uh, the Pharisees. You're talking about hypocrisy. All that is great. You're talking about all that kinds of stuff. Uh, I've got a problem, Jesus. I have a problem here. My brother owes me something. And I want it. Would you be the judge over this issue? It wasn't unusual for a man to come to a rabbi and ask him to solve a problem. And so Jesus responds. And Jesus says, but who made me an arbitrator over you? He wasn't saying that he could not do it. He could not make a decision. But what Jesus Christ is about to do, he's about to expose a problem in this man's heart. And in effect, what he's saying is perhaps, yes, perhaps you've been wronged by your brother, but you have a greater need. There's a problem in your heart of greed. You see, in Jesus' day, the Jews had a law in Deuteronomy chapter 21. The older brother received a double portion of the inheritance. Then the rest was dispersed amongst the younger. So apparently this was a younger brother. His older brother was not giving up the things that he was supposed to give to him. And he wants Jesus to make a decision about the issue. Jesus is going to do something. He's going to tell a story. He's going to tell the story to the multitude. He's going to make application to his disciples. But in doing so, he's going to expose this man's heart. And maybe today he's going to expose your heart and my heart. Let's see what he does. Look at verse 14. And he said to him, the man who raised the question, man who made me a judge or devourer over you. And that's his first response. I can respond, but I'm not. I have a, a, another issue I want to get at. So verse, verse 15, then he says to them. Then he talks to the multitude. And he says to them very clearly, he says, beware. Take heed and beware of covetousness. For a man's life consists not in the abundance of the things which he possesses. This response is important to us. Because Jesus says, be on the alert. Being greedy or being covetous can creep in in very spiritual-like ways. In our congregation, we have a time doing what we call our celebration. We have a time of testimony. You can get up and share what God's been teaching you, what God's been saying to you, what God's been doing in your life. And sometimes, if you're not careful, people can get up and stop boasting about what they own. And they can say, in a spiritual way, and God blessed me with a new house, and God blessed me with a new boat, and God blessed me with a new job, and glory to God, God gave me a new ring. Oh, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. And that could be things worth praising God for, but sometimes we don't realize those people are greedy. You see, greed is simply this. It's this insatiable desire to have more. That you're never satisfied. Whatever you get, you have to have more. The Bible says that godliness with contentment is great gain. Great gain and all about our culture tells us not to be contented. You turn on your television set, your TV will tell you, don't be contented with the things that you have. You buy a brand new car tomorrow, I promise you. When the next one comes out, they're going to convince you, you deserve that new car. We have one more button in the dashboard. You need it. And you'll say, baby, I think I need that button. And you'll go buy that car because now you are not contented with what you have. 
And so he says, be on the lookout. It can come, it can creep in. In Colossians chapter 3, listen to what Paul says. Paul says, mortify your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. You beware of that. They asked J.D. Rockefeller one time, how much more money do you need? He said, a little bit more. USA Today did a poll of Americans asking people making $50,000 a year, what would make you happy? Oh, if I could just make 60000 a year. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Asked the people making 60000 a year, what would make you happy? Do you know what they said? $70,000 a year. Asked the people making seventy. you got it. We always have to have more, 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 more. Jesus says, be on the lookout against greed. He's not saying it's wrong to be wealthy. He's not saying it's wrong to be blessed. What he is saying is, try to find your contentment and purpose in life through possessions. That's greed. That's covetousness. Jesus goes on in verse 15. He says, listen, let me tell you the effects of greed. Verse 15 Beware of covetousness, for a man's life consists not in the abundance of the things that he possesses. It distorts your view of life. Greed will always distort your view of life. It will make you think having more. Having more gives you more life. Having more gives you more happiness. Having more gives you more purpose. Watch that in your heart. Ask yourself, am I trying to find satisfaction in things? Am I trying to find purpose in things? You're on your way, if you're not there, of being a greedy person. So Jesus now tells this parable. Let's look at the parable, the story that he tells because he unveils this man's heart right before the people. Verse 16, and he spake a parable unto them saying, the ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. He thought within himself saying, what shall I do because I have no room where to bestow my fruit. And he said, this is what I'll do. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there I will bestow all my fruit and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have much good laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, and be merry. But God said unto him, thou food, fool, this night thy soul shall be required of you. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? Secondly, Jesus would say, here's an effect of greed. Greed will distort your understanding of the fact of stewardship. Greed will make you think you are an owner, not a steward. If you go through the parable about nine times, he uses the word I or my. This is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and on and on and on. That's owner talk. He actually thinks he owns something and he doesn't. And greed will blind you to the fact of stewardship. You see, a steward is a person who really owns nothing, but he's responsible for the possessions of someone else. We are responsible as stewards to tend to what God has given to us and distribute what God has given to us as the Lord commands us to. That's not your money. That's not your car. That's not your clothes. You are a steward. I've never seen anyone in a funeral procession hooked up to the back of the funeral car or U-Haul. Because you're not taking anything. Do you understand that? Do you understand that somebody else is going to live in that house? 
Somebody else is going to drive that car. Somebody going to kiss that wife. Did you know that? Did you know that? Yeah. It doesn't belong to you. You are a steward for a period of time. And so Jesus says it robs you of this whole idea of the fact of stewardship. Look at number three. This man is robbed of the understanding of the scope of stewardship. What does stewardship cover? We've already mentioned it covers the possessions that we have. All that we have. But as you look through this parable, we can understand some very important things about stewardship and its scope. There's a stewardship of possessions, but there's also a stewardship of relationships. This man has under his control so much produce, he doesn't know what to do with it. Isn't it possible there are people who have a need? Couldn't that if he had gone down the street and found some widow woman? Couldn't not he have gone and talked to some orphans? Could he have given to somebody who had a need? We have a stewardship of relationship. People that God brings into your life, your brother, your sister, your wife, your children, your friend, your co-worker, I call that stewardship of relationship. God will hold Ken Watson for how he treats people. You say, well, that's my friend. That's the friend that God gave you. God will hold you accountable for how you treated that person. Well, that's my woman. God gave you that woman. And God will hold you accountable for how you treat that woman. It's a stewardship of relationship. I don't own my children. Remember some folks said to me back home one time, I know you're going to be, you're going to be sad when your kids leave your house. You're going to cry like a baby. I said, no, I'm not. I'm going to cry if they don't leave. Are you kidding me? I'm raising my kids to leave. If you don't leave, you're going to see me bawling like a baby. No, 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 no. Go, go, little bird. Fly, 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 fly away. Come visit another day. There's a stewardship of relationship. Then there's a stewardship of time. He thought he owned his possessions and he did not. He thought he owned relationships and he did not. He thought he owned time. He says, I have many years. Who told him he had many years? I have many years. Oh, do you? God says you fool. And let me tell you something. When God calls you a fool, guess what? You're a fool. You're a fool. Your mama can call you a fool and your mama can be wrong because your mother doesn't know everything. Your wife can call you, you're a fool, and she could be wrong because your wife does not know everything. Your best friend could call you a fool and he could be totally wrong because he does not know everything. But when God calls you a fool, mm -hmm, you pretty much can take it to the bank. He's a fool. He thought he owned time and we don't own time. We don't know how much time God has given to us. Some of you guys are younger than most of us and you assume that you're going to be here until you're 80 years old. You don't know that. Boast not yourself of tomorrow, Proverbs says, for you don't know what a day will bring forth. You see, if God has given you a life expectancy of 20 years old and God has given to Brother Brian a life expectancy of 100 years old and you're 15 now, you're old. He's young, you're old. You got five years ago. You old, dude. Where do we get that term middle age from anyway? 
That's ridiculous. They get to be 50 years old. He's middle age. How many hundred-year-old guys do you know? You're not middle age when you're 50. You're almost at the finish line. <laughs> middle, middle age. They tell me I'm middle age now. Okay, well, how many 116-year-old guys do you know? He thought he owned time. Here's something really tragic. He thought he owned himself. There's a stewardship of self. God says, you fool. This day, your soul should be required of you. You don't even own you. You think you own things. You think you own money. You think you've got possessions. You don't even own you. And as a Christian, we fully understand that because the Bible says you've been bought with a price. You were bought by the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. He owns you. And we struggle with that, don't we? Particularly in our culture. We struggle with the idea that somebody owns us. Particularly in my culture, we'll say real quick, I ain't nobody's slave. Oh, yes, you are. You are either a slave to righteousness or you are a slave to sin. You don't have a choice. All of us are slaves. The great thing is you now get to choose your master. And I choose to be a slave of Jesus. This guy thinks he's an owner and he's not so... There's this distortion. Greed distorts him of understanding the very nature of stewardship. The Bible says this, we should all give an account to the Lord. The Apostle Paul talking about the gospel, Paul says, we were allowed to be entrusted with the gospel. You don't own the gospel, you are a steward of the gospel. God entrusts the gospel to you, but there's a day of accountability. I had a chance to go up to Clemson University to talk to the football team, and I just wanted to Meant me a convertible. I just wanted to drive a convertible Mustang. I don't know. I went and rented one. Wanted my hair to blow in the wind as I drove. <laughs> so I drove to Clemson University, got out the car, the football players were coming out and they saw my car. Oh my God, that's just off the team! That's off the team! That's a wasp! Wow! Going crazy over my car. I didn't say nothing. <laughs> May as well enjoy this for a while. And so they admired my car, my convertible Mustang, you know. After a while, I started thinking, like, I, I kind of own this thing. I'm driving it around, take it back home, and I pulled up to take the car back, and the guy got out. You know what he did? Came out the building, walked around the car, checked the gas, checked the mileage, and checked for dents. And all of a sudden, I was shocked back to reality. It wasn't my car. I don't have a convertible Mustang. <laughs> Though my hair was messed up, it wasn't my car. I was standing before him being accountable for what I did with their car. We will all stand before the Lord as stewards of the things he's allowed us to be stewards over. Stewardship means accountability. This guy totally missed it. And so Jesus, in verse 22, he wants the disciples to, to understand their stewardship. He wants them to understand their stewardship, but he understands something. They first have to be able to deal with this monster called greed. He's going to give some instructions to them that I want to share with you that can help you understand that you are a steward and not succumb to greed. Look at verse 22. Verse 22. And he said to his disciples... He's not talking to the multitude now. 
He says to his disciples, Therefore I say unto you, Take no thought of your life, what ye shall eat, and neither for the body, what ye shall put on. Number one, Jesus says, Stop worrying. One of the marks of a greedy person is a person who worries. Greed will make you worry. You accumulate all this stuff for your self-significance and you worry about it. Jesus says, stop worrying. Forget about it. In Jamaica, they said, oh, no problem, man. Don't worry. You Americans worry too much. We worry because we're greedy. And we have much to uh, uh, worry about because we think we own everything. And so he says, you ought to stop worrying. The life is more than meat. And the body is more than raiment. Look at verse 24. He's going to help you to stop worrying. He says, consider something. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which neither have storehouse nor barns, and God feeds them. How much more are ye better than the fowls? Which of you, uh, with taking thought, can add to his statue one cubit? If ye then be not able to do that, which is least, why take ye thought of the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They tore not, they spin not. And I say unto you that Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If then God so clothed the grass which is today in the field, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O ye of little faith? He says, go look at nature. Go look at the birds. Does God feed the birds? If God would take note of the ravens and feed the ravens, won't he feed you? Go look at the lilies, he said. Look at how they are dressed. If God would clothe the flowers, won't he clothe you? We have no reason to worry because our God is a loving father. And if God treated us the way that we act like he treats us, God should be taken to court for neglect and for child support. God feeds his children. He will clothe his children. He will take care of his children. Loosen up. Don't worry about it. Because when I worry, that's a statement about my view of God. When I worry, that's a statement about my view of God. I'm saying God will not take care of me, and he will. And so Jesus says, you consider that. Look at verse 31. Verse 31. But rather seek ye the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. What things? What was he talking about? Food, clothes, and raiment. I mean shelter. Food, clothes, and shelter. Jesus says those basic necessities of life belong to you. My Father will give those things to you. You just make sure you seek the kingdom. And you cannot seek the kingdom if you're not seeking the king. Be in pursuit of Jesus. And all those things shall be added. I was watching television the other day and there was a televangelist on and he pulled this verse out for his con- huge congregation. He was claiming a million dollar salary and he read that verse, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you as well. I'm claiming a million dollar salary from this congregation and they went up and applaud. Do you think Jesus was talking about a million dollar salary in that passage? He just told you what he was talking about. The basic necessities of life he promises he will give to his children. You just pursue after him. And so Jesus says, do that. Look at verse 33. 
Jesus says, sell and give. Sell what you have and give. One way to fight against greed is to become a giver, not a hoarder. When God blesses you, ask yourself this question, Lord, why have you given this to me? God says to Abraham, I will bless you and make you a blessing to others. We tend to think in our greedy culture that when God gives us something, he only gives it to us for us. And no way could God give me any money for you. No, that can't happen, right? When God blesses you, ask the Lord, why did you bless me with this? You may be surprised in the times that God will say to you, give it. I'm providing it for you that you may give it to him or give it to them. Jesus says, be a conduit of God's blessings. Be a giver. Look at verse 34. Learn how to transfer your treasure. How to transfer your treasure. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Your heart will follow your treasure. If your treasure is in this life, in this world, and these possessions, that's where your heart will be. If your treasure is in spiritual things, if your treasure are in eternal things, the things of God, that's where your heart will be. A man will always follow his treasure. We were laughing and joking a little bit this morning. Guys were talking about what they did when they were dating, how they would drive so many miles. I, can, I didn't say anything, but you know, I didn't want to expose myself. But I remember I drove from my hometown of Norfolk, Virginia in a blizzard back up to Washington, D.C., to see my girlfriend. I mean, they said, stay off the roads. Snow was coming. Snow plows everywhere. I'm sliding, going on I-95. I'm going to see my baby. It was worth it, too. Yeah. Right? That's where my treasure was. Sure was. And I was getting up there, too, going two miles an hour, but I was going to get there. Two and a half hour trip took six hours. We always follow our treasure. Look at the final exhortation of Jesus. Verse 35. He spends some time on this one, and it's important. Verse 35. Let your loins be girt about and your lights burning. And ye yourselves liken to men that wait for their Lord when he will return from the wedding, that when he comes and knocks, they may open unto him immediately. Blessed are those servants whom the Lord, when he comes, shall find watching. Verily I say unto you that he shall gird himself and make them, sit, them to sit down to meet and will come forth and serve them. For if he shall come in the second watch or come in the third watch and find them so, blessed are those servants. And this know that if the goodman of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not have, and not have suffered his house to be broken through. Be ye therefore ready also for the son of man comes in the hour when ye think not. Jesus says to his disciples, be alert, be watchful, be watchful. Being watchful impacts your behavior. Being watchful will remind you that you are a steward, not an owner. My mom used to, I'm the youngest of three, but my mom would go downtown sometimes and she would say to us, I'm going downtown or I'm going shopping or I'm going somewhere. And she would say, when I come back home, this house better be cleaned up. This house had better be cleaned up. 
And she had this little phrase she would say to us, telling us that no one could come into our house while she was gone. I don't want Lottie, Dottie, or nobody in this house. I never forgot that. I never met Lottie or Dottie, that they couldn't come in my house. And we would play, have pillow fights, turn the place up, right? But then what we would do, we would kind of guess when she was coming back and clean the house up. And when she walked through the door, it would be clean. We'd be smiling like perfect little kids. But she could have come a day or a time when we didn't, weren't prepared for it. Jesus says, you don't know when I'm coming back, man. Be alert. Be watchful. My mom had a... Uh, my mom was a great mom, is a great mom, but something she did wouldn't pass, you know, uh, the test of our day. <laughs> my brother was the original cookie monster. And my brother would eat the cookies and uh, act like he didn't do it. So my mom would buy stuff to put in our lunch, and she would buy cookies and buns. But one day, uh, the cookies got eaten. So my mom came home and said, where's the cookies for the lunch? My brother said, I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't do it. I didn't eat the cookies, mom. I didn't do it. My sister said, well, I didn't do it. I'm about five years old. And I said, well, I didn't eat the cookies. I didn't, I didn't do it. So my mom said, somebody ate the cookies. I, I didn't do it. I didn't do it. Kathy, did you do it? No, I, no, ma'am, I didn't do it. Elba, did you do it? No, I didn't do it. I didn't do it. That was a cookie monster. So my mom said, everybody come out and sit on that sofa. And so we fouled out and we sit on the sofa. And now I'm five years old. I'm wondering, well, maybe I ate the cookies and I forgot. I, they're denying it. She denies it and he denies it. Maybe I did eat the cookies. <laughs> they're older. I'm sure they would tell the truth. So my mom says, I'm telling you what, it was 4.30. My mom says, see that clock right there? Yes, ma'am. My mom said, at 5 o'clock, the person who ate the cookies, your tongue will fall out your mouth. <laughs> so we're sitting on the sofa. It's 15 minutes till. I didn't, I didn't, you, you, you ate, uh, uh, I, didn't, I didn't eat the cookies. Did I? Everybody's denying it. The clock gets to 10 minutes to 5. My brother's over there sweating now. It's two minutes to five. About one minute to five, he jumps up. It was me! It was me! Mom! Mom! Please! Because ah! he knew what time it was. I was angry with my brother. That was torture being on that sofa. I was doubting me. Doubting my integrity as a five-year-old. How could you put us through that? But I give him his props. He knew when five o'clock came, something was going to happen. Something's going to happen. Can't you sense it? Can't you sense Jesus is coming? Don't you pick up your papers? Don't you read the word of God? Don't you sense it? Jesus said, be on the alert. If you are on the alert for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, these things that we call important to us won't be important friend of mine was on staff with the FCA when I was on staff he was my state director a guy named Mark Newland Mark played basketball at UVA and uh, Mark was a single guy but uh, he was getting ready to get married 
and Mark was a virgin. And Mark said, man, I just can't wait. I, was, I went to see him, and uh, we were up in Richmond, Virginia, and we were driving in the car, and he was talking. He says, Ken, I just can't wait. I just, he said, I just can't wait till my honeymoon night. I said, man, that's great, man. That's great. I said, Mark, you know what I'm going to do? He says, what? I said, I'm going to pray for you, man. See, I appreciate it. I said, I'm going to pray that on your honeymoon night, you go into the bathroom, take your shower, and put on that cologne and everything. When you come out, the trumpet sounds. <laughs> So when you come out, the trumpet sounds. And he said, here's a question. No, 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 Ken. No, 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 no. No, he said, don't pray that. Here's my point. Sometimes we don't want to be alert, do we? We have other things more important on our agenda. It's guilty of me. It's true of you. When Jesus Christ becomes the more on our agenda... We'll long for him. And everything else will be so insignificant. And this thing called greed, we'll drop it. And we'll understand that we are stewards of the king. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much. Lord, please make us men of faith. Help us have the right orientation toward the things that we think that we own. Remind us that we are stewards. Stewards of the possessions. Stewards of relationships. Stewards of time. Stewards, Lord, of ourselves. And we're stewards of the gospel. And we want to stand before you and hear you say, well done. Good and faithful servant, good and faithful steward. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.